Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Chris and Andre Show. Hello, everybody. This is Chris and Andre, the Chris and Andre Show, and welcome to episode 11 or 13. Or 14. Uh, 11. No, you're right. Yep. All right. I got it right this week. Yeah. So. <laughs> look at that. Hey, we're getting better every week. That's our goal, right? Get a little bit better. All right. So we're going to get right into it. So it's time for politics. What our president has done over the last month is completely unacceptable. Um, it it's like 20 times worse than you know bush in his last six months of office yeah so um like for what that's worth <laughs> <laughs> i mean when i saw maybe the last 18 months of bush's bush in office it was like he'd just given up so yeah you know the guy had been beaten up beaten down and it was just it was sad to see the president of a country just, you know, put his tail between his legs and call it a day. So whether you agree on the policies or politics, that's not the point. The, the point. The, yeah. the issue is the fact that, you know, it's just while you're driving the car and you took your hands off the wheel. So big time. Yeah. Well, I don't see. Um, I know I sent you some stuff and um, about where we are as a country, like as far as the Bernie or the left or the, what, what do you call it? The progressive movement? <laughs> yeah. I think you've deemed it the progressive movement at this point. Yeah. And I, I don't, I'm not so much against progressive ideas. What I am against is a false narrative. Uh, Tetchy and I got into a fight about Medicare for all in a roundabout way <laughs> so yeah. it was, was kind of weird i was like i i totally want and believe and i think most rational people would say that we need to reform our healthcare system what i don't agree with is this idea that you can just do it all in one day and her point was the affordable care act and i'm like hey i i totally don't disagree with you like i think the affordable care act was a big step but I don't think it was it was effective because the law was written to where it could be dismantled. So and that was my point. It's like, yeah, I'm not whether I agree with how it got implemented or not, it's yeah. it's irregardless. What I don't think was helpful in the long run is the fact the law could be rewritten or parts of it dismantled. And that's that was unfair to, you know, that system to see if it could work. And that was unfair to the people that depend on the Affordable Care Act. And I just think that's that's the travesty. It's like, yeah, so no, it wasn't good because you could dismantle it, and that's that's what bothers me. Yeah. So yeah, I I I, I don't know, man. And I feel like um, I actually am pulling back from Twitter because one thing I'm noticing is that um, you pick a side and everybody's pissed about something. So, <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, and it's frustrating to me because it's just like that's you know, like why? Why do we have to be so pissed off? And there are things where it's like I understand 
people being pissed off about, you know, like human rights issues and stuff like that. Um, but even then, I just, I don't know, I go back and forth because it's like part of me wants to say like, well, there's a better way. But then it's like, I mean, I'm not getting off my ass and doing anything about it. So who am I to really judge? <laughs> So if you went, if every day you were just angry about something and that's all you said, how effective are you? That's, that's the question. It's like, yeah, I, I, I get the, I get people are pissed. I know people are, you know, if Burr, Tillis and Lofinski, Flops, the senator from wherever she's from. Yeah. There's actually a Democrat and I think she's from California. Yeah. She's from California. Um, if those people remain in office, it, if what is found to be true is true for all four of them, you know, then that's a failure on the people of those congressional districts. So that's how I look at it. But it's it's I don't know. There's there's no right and wrong. And I get that Democrats are you know, I'm not a Democrat, so I can say this and not be biased. I know they're not perfect, just as well as I know the Republicans aren't perfect. It's just, what are we doing about it? You know, uh, the the thing I share with you about Bernie Sanders is that maybe it was it really was a misreading of what the country wanted, and I I do think a lot of people that voted for Bernie were just way anti, like myself included, Hillary Clinton. So yeah, um, that move. Those changes in policy in our, our society, they do make sense. I'm just concerned at how that how we get there is going to be. It's going to bankrupt yeah. the country. Going to, yeah. What are you doing? Turn around out there. I can hear you. And this is coronavirus lockdown in Wake County. Coronavirus update. May fifteenth, <laughs> dude. Wow, it's it's. And like, I mean, I, I understand like wanting people to be prepared for that kind of, but May fifteenth just seems like that's a big. I mean, we went from two weeks to two and a half months like that. <laughs> so, you know, you know what the problem is, right? And I, I keep hearing this. All the numbers we're getting are a week behind. Sure. Right? So, if yesterday they reported 100 deaths, that, you know, that and I don't... Last I weeks. Yeah, those are last, you know, two. actually, those are probably two to three weeks worth of people getting sick. Yeah. Well, we don't really know. So, I'd rather err on the side of caution. Um you know, the, the misinformation about, well, young people are pretty much okay and safe is not really true because now I'm seeing more and more people between 20 and 30, you know, 35 getting the virus. So, you know, I, I don't, I know it's for me, I know it's uncomfortable, you know, Jay Lee's home, Tetchy's working from home and we're probably, we're not going to go cabin are, you know, we're not going to get cabin fever and start killing each other, but it's just like, it is definitely disrupting everything, but I'd, I'd really, me personally, I'd rather be safe than sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I agree. Um, I think it's definitely, yeah, like, I'd much rather be safe than sorry than 
sit here and be like, oh, f it, like it's not that big a deal, and then have you know get a bunch of people sick or watch a bunch of people die, um, you know, and like I mean, yeah, I certainly recognize that. Like, it's it's very possible that I could get it and it could be bad for me. But my bigger concern is more about like transmitting it to somebody else, you know, like my parents or you know, somebody else that, you know, like, my neighbors, because I have a bunch of older neighbors and stuff like that, and, like, I don't, you know, I don't want that shit on my conscience. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, happy-go-lucky Chris is out the, he's left the building. Yeah. No, I, I mean, like, one week of <laughs> being holed up with a six-year-old, and, I mean, again, like, I got up at 6.15 this morning, and went to Walmart because I was like, I'll be there first thing. They open at seven. I get there and there's a sign on the door that says starting Tuesday, March 24th, Walmart will have a special shopping hour from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. for our shoppers 60 years older, 60 years of age and older. And I'm like, well, that's cool. You know, don't want them mingling with all the sick young folk i guess right get them all together in one spot at one time get them all sick you know <laughs> <laughs> um and so like i, I got there at like 6 45 and so i walked up and there were a couple people working the door and i was just sitting there and i was like see okay you got a special time like nothing on the website to say that that was happening and then i asked them because there was no nobody get, no, nothing going on they were just standing there and i was like so you know i hate to ask because i'm sure you guys get this all the time but do you have any idea if there's any toilet paper in there And the girl just looked at me and kind of laughed and she was like it's gone by now she was like there have been a bu bunch of people in here and i'm like how many fucking 60 plus people get up at six o'clock in the morning to go shopping apparently all of them this morning right. this is literally they're only doing this on tuesdays so this is the one morning that I got up to go wait at Walmart. And sure enough, I get in there and there's, I mean, there's nothing. And I'm just yeah. but like, for the life of me, I just don't understand that people will buy literally any crappy toilet paper, pun intended. <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to be a rational guy. So the supply chain is not suffering. I think the issue is how do we, if we over, stock the stores right the issue is going to be well how do, do you cut back production at wherever you know wherever that spot is in the supply chain right so the message of not hoarding is not clear to people <laughs> well and but i mean if, if we're being honest like people i mean people obviously aren't listening is oh, the other thing right yeah they're, they're not like they're not they're uh, there is very much uh well f everybody else i'm gonna do what i gotta do to make sure me and my family survive this you know viral apocalypse which is basically how people are looking at this and it i, I literally right. i had a woman so when i when i went into walmart when i finally got in I grabbed a shopping cart, not in any specific rush, but I was going to like, okay, first I'm just going to go check the toilet paper aisle and I'm walking and I see this woman who's walking on the other side of the aisle with a shopping cart and she speeds up a little bit and I'm like, well, this would be fun. So I sped up a little bit. So she speeds up a little more. 
So I spent, I mean, like, I'm not running, but definitely, like, pushing the cart as fast as I can while walking just to see how fast this woman, I mean, this woman would have probably bowled somebody over to get to the empty toilet paper aisle. And, like, I, I just, I don't understand. I, the, the logic escapes me. Like, you know, and I'm not going into Horde. I'm going in to buy one pack of toilet paper for my house. Like, that's all I want. Like, a normal 12 rolls. That's all I'm looking for. Right. And, I mean, Amazon is out. Walmart. Target. Like, literally, you can't buy it online anywhere. Like, <laughs> I just... And and to your point, like, it the supply chain is is not... Like, it's not like the, the toilet paper is necessarily missing, but, like, I don't understand. Where is it? Well, you, you can't if – so the – all right, so uh, years ago – actually, no, wait. Um, when the recession hit, and if you went to a restaurant, you noticed that everything got more expensive. Yeah. Especially beef, uh, steak, and everything like that. There was one company that didn't get hit by that. I won't say their name. But they had the purchasing power to actually, you know, lock in the futures so that they could ride it out. And they, they didn't have to adjust their menu prices well into, you know, 2013, 2014. So the supply chain, now on the, on the inverse of that, if you look at the demand not being, it's not normalized, and you just start flooding more stuff into the market, well, then you're you're screwing up the backlog, you know, how they're going right, to produce. Because the then future. moving forward, you have all of this toilet paper out there that and I mean, I get yeah, I, I do like I, I understand from that perspective. It's just uh, the, it's frustrating. Yeah, and it's just the, it's the people like I'm I'm at the point where I <laughs> like I'm starting to really hate people. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like the more time I I'm forced to spend outside of my home during this pandemic, the more I just am like, I mean, like driving right now. Mm-hmm. You, I'd go to Chapel Hill on Sunday and I didn't even really could just keeping up with the flow of traffic. I'm doing 92 wow. on 40. Because that's how fast everybody else is going. Like, it's basically like wild, wild west out there. We're like, well, the cops got more important things to worry about than pulling me over for a speeding ticket. All I got to do is cough in his face and he'll get out of my way. <laughs> that is crazy. That is, that has been, that, that makes no sense. I, um, wow. I, so I've always thought that people at the end of the day, if you leave them to their own devices, they're all selfish. And I can't be surprised when people do stupid things or I'm fooling myself. Yeah. And that is not a cynical view. That is just when the rubber meets the road, you got to just understand that people are going, even the nicest person, you know, I hate to say it, Chris, most people are going to do some crazy stuff like that. The lady that you saw in Walmart. Yeah. I bet you on any given day outside of this time frame, yeah. she's super nice. I'm sure she is. <laughs> or she, or she thinks and believes she's super nice. And I just, I just don't have the, I, I don't know. I just don't fool myself into thinking that people are going to do something different. And I'm not saying you are. I'm just, right. it just prevents me from going crazy in the midst of crazy. 
following commercial break is brought to you by Helena. For all your interruption needs, trust the experts. Trust Helena. Hi, Helena. <laughs> hey, did you read your book? All of it. I guess. Okay. Do you remember the whole story? Um, I can't. I think it's... Okay. Why don't, why don't you go read it again? <laughs> remember to sound out the words, okay? Nice Chris has left the building. This is the guy. This is what I actually love hanging out with you. What do you, <laughs> what do you stripped off that veneer of like, oh, everything's happy. No, it's not, Chris. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, this is what happens after like six years. After six years, like I just there's no level of trust there. Like I, I know better than to believe when I, I can literally over the headphones, like and the sound of you and I having a conversation. I can hear just the, the breathy pant of her dancing and spinning around out there, and it's like, well, you're not reading if you're spinning around in circles, so. I find it hard to believe. Not to mention, she, she, I mean, I can. She can be looking me dead in the eye, and I can talk to her for ten seconds, and I'll be like, "What did I just say?" And she'll be like, "Uh, I don't remember." Oh, it gets better, dude. It gets so much better. And by really better, hard. you mean much, much worse. <laughs> I, I would say more challenging because Jay Lee has a tendency to not hear when yeah. it's convenient, but lo and behold, if you whisper something that may uh, may or may not have had her name in it and she wants to talk to you about it she'll mm-hmm. talk to you about it. i'm like yo you don't hear any other time but now you hear perfect yep it's amazing i um yeah i i know this time is stressful for people i saw um uh something on cnn and because that's they probably have the most consistent national news right now during this epidemic or pandemic uh, local news is doing a good job, so I don't want to discount those guys that are working like overtime. Yeah. But um, this, uh, apparently, when when we think about this pandemic, we don't think about people that actually have mental illnesses. Like a, a lady with OCD, she's like freaking out. She says, "So what happens when this passes and I'm stuck here?" And I, you know, I'm, I, it kind of made me think that there are a lot of things that are happening right now that we're just so in our own loops that we don't remember that there's other people with real issues that, you know, not saying this isn't that we're not all connected by this, but we have to be more mindful and thoughtful about other people. And, yeah. you know, it just made me feel like, wow, this is not a good deal, you know? <laughs> um, and then I'm concerned about the whole misinformation of, Oh, and we're going to open up the country back in two weeks. No, we're not like that is, well, and this this is coming immediately after they informed all U.S. citizens who were abroad. If you're there, you have like t- three days or four days to get home. Otherwise, be prepared to stay there indefinitely because we're going to close the border. Like I mean, my sister and her husband who were in Portugal were originally supposed to come home like a week ago. I think last Tuesday, a week a week ago today. And they decided, like, the weekend before, just looking at how things were going, that, like, we're not going to do that because the lines to get through, like, the viral screening at the airports and stuff are ridiculous. Like, people are waiting hours, and we don't want to go through that if we don't have to. Like, we'll stay here as long as we can. 
And then they got the notification that they were going to close everything down. And so they immediately scrambled and were able to fortunately find a last minute flight home. Um, and they said uh, that they didn't have any issues getting through or anything like that. But now they're self-quarantining up in uh, Philadelphia where Stefan's mom lives. But uh, yeah, and, you know, and then it's like they come home and then Trump's like, well, we're going to open things back up in two weeks. And it's like he's I, I, to some degree you just kind of want to be like can you just be quiet and let the, the grown-ups are having a conversation <laughs> like this is a serious matter that we need to deal with when it's time for you know the show to come back on we'll let you know but can you just go sit in your office and color quietly like <laughs> i and i yeah i'm struggling with respecting the office right now um like i i really I mean, the dude I really laughed when someone informed him that Mitt Romney was infected with the coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if he gets, if he gets, if he can pull off. Following commercial break is brought to you by Helena. For all your interruption needs, trust the experts. Trust Helena. Hey, honey. This is not what we agreed to. Hey. If... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not laughing at you, dude. I swear I'm not. But I'm totally laughing at you. Like, right now. So what were we talking about? Mitt Romney, uh, Trump laughing at Mitt Romney. Oh yeah, <laughs> douche. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yeah, it's it's a tough time, man. Um, it's um, I mean, Rand Paul. Uh, there, there's a there's a few people, and it's like I, I'm actually kind of irritated with the stimulus package where they're trying to. And this is what I've said before, like. I know I've said this. All right, the bills can't be bad. They become bad when everybody puts their hands up. Right. And the fact that we're trying to add, I think the stimulus for citizens should be different for whatever package they decide for how they want to help out the companies and other yes. organizations like Those that. Those should be two completely separate bills. Yeah. And they I mean, can have. Any company that's going to get money from the taxpayers ought to pay it back with interest, honestly. Like, it ought well, to be a freaking loan, not a. It's not a like a handout this isn't a donation well, that's why i hate uh gm you know they they right. did a big stock buyback and they 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 close factories there's a lot of things where it's like both sides of the aisle screw up and it infuriates me when you um, get i mean like you know united ceo comes out like the first week that stuff is slowing down and they're like we're gonna need a ton of money or else things are gonna go you know really bad like how poorly are you running your organization that one week of bad business of reduced profits and you're threatening to close your doors and lay people off unless the tax, the government gives you a ton of money. Like I've, I've always, you know, you've, this is one of my things. If your company's that bad off, you shouldn't be in business. Right. And I, I, like, I let United go out of business. 
Honestly, yeah. like Delta, somebody else will buy up their whole freaking thing and do a much better job. United is a terrible airline to begin with. Like, I, I think that when it's, you know, capitalism becomes a victim of the fact that a free market economy should mean there are going to be some losers sometimes. And, and it doesn't mean that some things are too big to fail. And I, I just personally believe that, you know, I, I, I can't get away from that feeling. I think that if we really are a free market and capitalist society, there are sometimes things have got to fail. Yeah. Um, there, there are times where regulation makes sense. Like in the, in the pharmaceutical industry, I think that makes sense. You know, um, I, I don't understand this. And maybe I have more of a purist view of capitalism. I also believe that people should learn how to vote with their dollars. So the people that are, you know, if the retailers right now, if they go off the rails, they're not going to be forgiven. Yeah. It's just, it's just fundamentally impractical to not forgive those companies. Like I will find somewhere else to get stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't understand the, okay. Hotels may go out of business, but hotels in, in general, in general terms, in my mind of an economy are a luxury. Uh, we have a lot, there's a lot of things where we have excess of product, yeah. hotels, planes, it's like, do we need all these restaurants, you know? I mean, I'm just like, you look around, right, at the, the number of restaurants and and all that stuff that, you know, it's like, how many of these do we really need to serve the number of people in this area? Like, right. you know, and that's, that's why I think you see in a lot of those, in a lot of the small, like, strip malls and stuff like that, like the rotating, you know, shops where it's, the same general idea and someone just keeps coming and thinking, Oh, I'm going to do this right. And it's like, no, right. the problem is that there isn't a market big enough to support that. Like, you right. know, and you don't differentiate yourself enough in the quality of your service to, you know, warrant people to go out of their way to come to your location. Like I uh, did a market quest some years ago and uh, the market I was in charge of once we did the analysis, it was an anomaly because for every location I had, there was a competitor within 2.5 miles. That is completely abnormal. <laughs> like, like you're, <laughs> it's typically five to ten miles, you know, there in that radius. But ev- there was a competitor every two point every location I had. There were multiple competitors within 2.5 miles, and I'm, again, not trying to be a hypocrite, but I don't think that. I don't think you should bail companies out, but I do think you should let them, you know, if they're strong, if their balance sheet is strong enough to survive, then they should survive. If not, you got to let them, you got to let them fall. Now, the, the, where I don't want to be hypocritical is that retail employs 60 to 70% of our economy. I mean, our employees in the country, uh, and and you can look at whatever shade of retail you want to restaurants, hotels, blah, 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 something in along those lines, customer facing or those hourly jobs in some level, 60% of the employees in the United States. So you have to pick and choose. If I was to bail out anybody and bail out like a mom and pop grocer or uh, because that's going to be the biggest impact and save the most jobs as opposed to an airline. Now, granted, they have a lot of people, but they make a crap ton of money. Well, and the, I mean, they have a ridiculous amount of assets that they can leverage for, you know, a business loan. Like, <laughs> there are 
you know, things in place, processes and, and, and everything in place for those companies to go out and get the money that they need without having to take any money from the government. I mean, that's why I've always come. That's one thing that made me love Ford, even though sometimes they have, you know, crappy products every now and then. But they, during the bailout, they didn't take money. And that you got to you got to respect that they have closed the least amount of factories as opposed to when they closed factories because they had to during the, you know, the yeah. recession. Um, it, so there's I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you look at GM, right? They took a huge bailout and then they shut a bunch of factories down and moved them overseas. Right. Like, thanks, American taxpayers. Now we're going to also take away a bunch of jobs. Like, I was, I watched uh, American Factory the other day, finally. Um, that documentary on Netflix about the Fuyo glass, uh, automotive glass plant that, like, they... Went okay. To yeah. Dayton, Ohio, uh, and took over and basically started back up the old one of the old GM plants there. Right. Um, it's a weird documentary. I mean, I I watched a little bit of the story of like the making of afterwards, and they were kind of explaining how they didn't go in with a plan to tell any specific story. It was just a document like what was going on with the workers there, which I guess made a little bit more sense. I, the way that the trailer was cut together made it look like there was more of a specific story i think to be told so i was a little confused but um yeah i mean you just look at what all those people went through you know and i think part of you know the issue and we talked about this a little bit last time is that you know like with the unions and everything in place for the auto workers had driven up the cost of labor so much that it just became impractical from a financial standpoint in GM's mind to remain here in the United States in terms of manufacturing. Right. And the, I mean, basically every single one of those employees that used to work at the GM factory that came back to work at the glass factory, you know, used to be near six figures a year. And we're now coming back at like, you know, 30, $40,000 a year salaries. Well, when you think about it, like, and I'm not anti-union. I no, and I'm not I, either. I, I mean, I think yeah, like I think I am. So <laughs> let, me, let me take that back. If 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 you're smart as a company and you pay your employees fairly, you're good. You're right. golden. And I think a union is a failure to be able to communicate and address the needs of your employees. Period. No. No other thing. Hi, Helena. Following commercial break is brought to you by Helena. For all your interruption needs, trust the experts. Trust Helena. <laughs> you should make like a commercial break um, like spot. Like, oh, we have a hell of a commercial. <laughs> Seriously, we're going to need a bunch of those. Sports. Oh, uh, breaking news. Panthers expected to release Cam Newton. Uh, shocking, right? Yeah. 
That um, it's, I mean, the I'm way that Melvin Gordon, Denver's getting Melvin Gordon. I saw that they're getting they're getting beat up pretty hard for that too. Oh yeah, I mean, people like, don't like it. They said, "Why do you need Melvin Gordon?" And, and I'm like, "Melvin Gordon's a pretty solid running back. Like, why why so, wouldn't so you?" Pat, so it was Patrick Lindsay. Yeah. So a two, you're going to sit the guy down for. I, I'm sorry, I, I cut you off, but I'm really upset. <laughs> Oh, like, so you are you you are mad about them signing Melvin Gordon? I, I don't understand it. I, I you think, don't want uh, two really good running backs? Well, we already have two. We have Booker and we have Lindsey. So we're basically we're pushing down the chain, right? We're just like yeah. I mean, so I'm guessing that ultimately, because Booker's got to be coming up on the end of his rookie contract, right? Yeah. So is Lindsey, right? He's got two more years if they do the fifth year yeah. extension. So if Booker's got one more year left on his contract, then the question becomes, how much are you expecting to pay Booker, and can you get Melvin Gordon for less? Because now what you've got is the ability to trade Booker, or you let him walk next year when his contract is up and you don't have to pay him big money. But, I mean, I I didn't see the deal that they paid, what they ended up get, having to pay to get Melvin Gordon anyways. So, I mean, it may that may not be... It, it doesn't. It, it's like it's uh, short-sighted. I think a lot of the trades that are happening right now are short-sighted. Like, I'm happy for um, Philip Rivers. Yeah. Doesn't help you the season after. <laughs> like, no, not at all. But you also <laughs> saw that they're keeping Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, but they're going to – they're pretty much probably just going to bench him. He's going to ride the bench. Oh, yeah. Season. I mean, like, he's – I mean, Philip Rivers is the starter there for sure. It's um, not working. It's but, so true. Yeah, I mean, I – Again, I think I was really surprised that they did a one-year deal with Rivers. Like you just, you know, even like Brady did the two-year deal, right, with right. Tampa Bay, and it, it, you would think it would be like a one-year deal with the second-year team option or something like that, or the second right. year doesn't have any guaranteed money, or you know, like structure it however you want. But you would just think that there would be at least that second-year opportunity. Um, I'm like was kind of surprised that more wasn't made of that. I think Rivers knows he only wants to play one more year, and it's it's really I, I hate to I'm not trying to dish your dude, but it's just really a cash grab. Um, if I'm being honest, he could have played one more year and for the Chargers. No, but the Chargers didn't want him. I'm sure they could have struck a deal. I don't. I don't think that. I think that honestly, I don't think that him and Anthony Lynn got along all that well. Okay. I think I think last year was because he had cut down on the turnovers, they got along right. okay. And then I think this year when things went south early, that I think that there was a bigger rift between the two of them than either of them let on. I mean, because I think they're both, you know, professionals, but I just I don't I think Lynn got frustrated with the number of turnovers because that's a big you know, sticking point. And I mean, I get it. If I were an NFL coach, turnovers would absolutely be one of my big sticking points. But a lot of the, you know, a lot of the picks that he threw were within like the last five minutes of games where they're trailing and he's trying to come back. And it's like, you know, I mean, some of them were bad throws. I'm not going to lie, but it, I, mean, I think it'll be interesting. I think I, I <laughs> you know, I think I said to you uh, that, despite Jim Irsay's, you know, negative qualities, the Colts are a pretty well-run organization over the last 20 right. years. Um, and so I'm happy, if nothing else, for Phillip that he gets to experience p 
playing for a good organization and for <laughs> actual fans. You know, like that, like he gets to play in front of a home crowd for the first time in his entire NFL career. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, you know, that'll be really special for him, I imagine. And I mean, the Colts fans seem fairly excited about it. So well, the culture fans, I mean, they're just fans of their team. They're like one of those. They're not like, well, they're kind of like Raiders fans. They're not like, um, I don't Cowboy know. Fans. I, Cowboys fans where they're, you know, putting everybody on. Uh, Eagles you know, fans. Yeah. Redskins yeah. fans. Well, you shouldn't be a Redskins fan. That's, Nobody that's like should be. Yeah. an oxymoron. <laughs> it's just a terrible team. When you saw they traded for Kyle Allen. Yeah, I did. I, I was like, well, what are we doing here? Because Ron Rivera just had to prove that Cam Newton was the problem. Like, Well, I don't think Rivera should have gotten out of Carolina. I think he's a hell of a coach. And I think that was a, a mistake on Carolina's fault. But I do think that Cam Newton is the problem. He can't get out of his own head. He deserves to be released. I can't see anybody picking him up except for anybody desperate. And, yeah, I can't. No, I can't. I can't think of anybody that needs him. Yeah. See? Yeah, yeah I mean, he's like his Maybe style. Jaguars? Uh, no. Because he'll get in the way. <laughs> like, get in the way of who? His, of himself. Well, I, but I, what does that mean, though? I mean, like, he went to a Super Bowl. He went to a Super Bowl because he's he's just like uh, Mahomes. Nope. When you can't figure out a, a player's game that's doing something brand new on the field, yeah, you, when you especially if you have an athletic quarterback, you mess up the whole game. So you I'm don't sorry. think that Cam Newton is a, is a good NFL quarterback? I do not. I say second tier at best. His the way he gets when he's winning is the same focus he should have when they're behind. And for everything holy, when he's behind, you'll watch him on the sidelines pouting like a two year old. You'll watch him throw equipment. You'll watch him. See, like, but I mean, I feel like he. Unf- I mean, and it's just funny because I feel like he gets so unfairly, you know chastised for that because i mean you know philip rivers like if he does throws a pick or you know like is upset he'll be over on the sideline screaming and hollering tom brady does the same thing you know like get back in the game like that's the difference the difference is those quarterbacks you just listed get back into the game cam will like let's say they're down saying that once that happens with cam then it's over like he mentally checks out yeah okay i mean i i just wanted to make sure if nothing else that i understood what you were yeah, I'm not saying like people don't. I mean, I know I would be pissed. I mean, I can tell you countless times, even if it's hell, even a video game. If I'm losing, I'm pissed, right? So I get that part. But you have to get back in the game. You've had you, you've had a bad, a couple of bad sets of things that happen. You just have to reset, and that's I mean, that's what it, an athlete does. Yeah, you're pissed at yourself. Yeah, you're pissed at your performance. Get over it, or you're going to take yourself out of the game. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't disagree. And you're right that, like, I know guys like Brady and Rivers and you know Russell Wilson and uh, Mike Glennon and Jacoby Brissett. Um. Pick a lot. I mean, just start naming off every other quarterback in the NFL. Like, it's... <laughs> oh wait, they all played at NC State. <laughs> no, I was like, I know that. I was trying to get you to like go away from that hole. 
because they're used to losing. <laughs> That's true. No, like, but I mean, like, they, those guys, I mean, you know, they, they throw a pick. I mean, well, Rivers, I think, has been kind of more, the second half of his career has been more prone to kind of getting in his own head. And so once he makes a mistake, then it tends to kind of snowball for him. But right. I mean, Wilson's one of those guys where, you know, if, if he makes a mistake and throws a pick, like he doesn't care. He's coming. I mean, that, I always go back to that Green Bay game. Yeah. Um, where it's like, it didn't matter how many mistakes he'd made. He was like, I'm going to go win this at the end. Following commercial break is brought to you by Helena. For all your interruption needs, trust the experts. Trust Helena. Another Helena commercial. <laughs> this brief pause in our podcast is brought to you by the letter H for Helena. Nicely done. Got them all right. to make sure I grade her homework. All right. She's got like a 3.8 GPA here at homeschool, so. <laughs> All right, so uh, what, you have one more worksheet? Or are we just going to tell her again? Tell her the Bob's Burgers worksheet. <laughs> That's right. I let my six-year-old watch Bob's Burgers. There you go. Hashtag weird parenting. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I think those quarterbacks, I mean, I, and I'm not, I've just never really been a fan of Cam Newton. Like, I like the, the Panthers because sometimes they're the local team for me, right? Yeah. If I have um, nobody else to root for, I don't mind rooting for the Panthers. Right. Or I just, don't like, I just don't like Cam Newton. Like, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. I guess, like, I, I've, Cam made a lot of mistakes and I think, you know, especially early on in his NFL career did not handle himself the way that he, he needed to. I felt like as he matured in the league, he got better at that. And I think the last couple of years, it's just, it's been injuries more than anything. And why did he get those injuries? Like, I think two of the three were, they were self-inflicted. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's been a lot of criticism of Rivera and the offense that they were running, especially early with Cam, where they were so reliant on him running and like bulldozing over people. And part of it was Cam because he, right. he okay. could have done, I mean, you look at you know, like Russell when, when he scrambles, he slides because he used to play right. baseball and he actually knows how to do that. Um, but, and I mean, why that isn't more you know widely taught i guess because <laughs> yeah actually i don't i i thought i had a reason but then i thought about it. i just watched this clip of a lot of uh football players dunking and playing ball yeah so, like i was like uh it's not really a good excuse if, if you're an athlete you're an athlete right? yeah, you ought to be able to slide on the grass like well sliding's hard <laughs> like yeah. i used to have to do slide drills in soccer um i hated sliding in baseball it's fucking dirt Hurts. Yeah, I did, well, the drills in soccer were harder than the ones in baseball. Uh, but I played first base, so that doesn't really, you know, didn't do a lot of sliding. And I was a, I'd say, at par batter, <laughs> except for curveballs. <laughs> like, I knew I was out. Like, I was either going to foul out or get struck out on a curveball. So, um, I hate curveballs. But anyway, but you, you learn how to protect yourself. I don't think that Cam, like, he, I don't know what, there's no excuse for it. It's just that self-inflicted injuries 
because you're making the same silly mistake, somebody's got to call you on it. And I, I don't think anybody um, – like I doubt the offense. In the games I watch, he wanted to run. Like he had clear drop downs that he could have taken. He had clear in, in routes he could have you know taken. But he wanted to run. He wanted to get the seven yards. I mean, so, you know, yeah. bully for you, whatever. Um, whatever. <laughs> so on a somewhat related note, because they're both football, I saw this thing on Twitter, um, I think it was this morning, where some guy, I think he works for the Saints organization, was basically saying that Lamar Jackson is a poor man's Taysom Hill. Wow. <laughs> and I think uh it was Bomani uh was was tweeting about it. Uh let me see if I can find it real quick cuz that was How many shots were fired on that one? Oh, I mean a lot. Like <laughs> Yeah, here we go. So Brady Papinga, I don't know ESPN 960. Maybe he doesn't work for them, but uh yeah, let's see. Brady Papinga played for the Packers, who's a Super Bowl champ. Great. Okay, whatever. Says Lamar Jackson is the poor man's Taysom Hill. It's not the other way around. That's what we have in Taysom. That's why the Saints aren't messing around. He eventually will be taken care of. Um Wow. Yeah, shots fired. <laughs> oh, I get it now because this guy also went to BYU. Oh, okay. And that's right. where Taysom Hill played. So, okay, he's just a homer. Yeah. But seriously, like, if that were the case, then what that essentially means is the entire Saints organization is a bunch of dumbasses who've had one of the greatest players in NFL history sitting on the bench behind Drew Brees. And Drew Brees is a great NFL quarterback. Yeah. But I... don't tell me that a 41 year old Drew Brees is a better option at starting quarterback than a rich man's Lamar Jackson, I guess. <laughs> I'm doing the, I'm doing like the analysis in my head. You know what? I would take a 43 year old. That guy's got one of the best arms in history. I mean, right. But what I'm, you, but no, you no, get no, what no, I'm no. saying, right? Like, no I'm, no, I'm saying it's like the, if you feel like he still has that, that, that distance left to go, you're going to sit on the bench unless you're a superstar. This kid's obviously not a superstar. Right, and that, that's the point, is that if this guy was as good as the Saints and the people around that organization want everybody else in the NFL to believe that he is, then why is he still sitting? Like, somebody else would have come in and said, I'll give you X amount. I'll give you, you know, here's a first-round pick for this guy. If, But there's no way that the Saints are the only team out there. And – and what was it earlier last at the beginning of last year when Drew Brees got injured? Who was it that was playing the starting quarterback position? It wasn't Taysom Hill. Right. It was right. Teddy Bridgewater. So right. if Taysom Hill was this, you know, game changing talent at quarterback, then you don't think he could have beat out. No offense to Teddy Bridgewater, because I think Bridgewater is a decent like mid to low level quarterback. But, right. he, you know, like, I mean, come on. Yeah, what yeah. Shots How does this fired. make any sense? Like that's and these people get paid to do this. That's the thing that I think just frustrates the crap out of me. 
You know, like, I mean, because you know me, like, I'm a state homer. Like, I love yeah. NC State, but I'm not unrealistic. Like, I'll make outlandish claims and then laugh because I know that that's ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, like, I just don't, I don't understand. These people say this with, like, a straight face. I, I mean, here's the thing about the stats in sports. They're good on paper, but you have the unknowns, right? You have, like, those injuries. and in Like, you see it a lot in baseball where you'll have, like, a guy that can pitch for, you know, six or seven innings, and you start seeing that drop down to, like, three to four, right? right? Um, so well, that's everybody these days. Oh, yeah. every Yeah. I mean, you start to stack down on the stats, and it's like, yeah, you're great in college. Yeah, you may be able to run a quick 40. There's a lot of good things you can do, but the unknowns are the defense. The unknowns are the gaps in your offensive line. The unknowns – will make or break your career if you can't get over them. That's that's one reason why I like Russell Wilson. Like and and I'm not a you know I'm not a fanboy. It's just like I really do respect his uh his way of play. And the he fact has, that because I think he he's one of those guys and there's a few of them in the in the league now that allows you to overcome a few deficiencies right. at those other places, right? Like he he, he, I mean, he's not going to win every single game with nobody for an offensive line, but he, you know, if, if one guy gets beat on one play, then he can usually fix that. You know, like he's right. got the legs and the, and the, the ability to get out of that. Um, and there, you know, I mean, like a guy like Philip Rivers isn't, isn't that, you know, like right. he, he's a statue <laughs> back there. <laughs> There goes my O line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he'll basically just fall down if he sees a guy come running free. It's... Yeah, so those unknowns will will ruin your stats, and it's just like it's not about the, especially in football, it's not about the incompletions. It's about the fact that you're taking less throws because you can't get a throw off. And right, it, it's yeah, I I don't know. Show me on the field, like show me in a game where you've actually you as the individual may have the ability to do these things but can you consistently do it if you can't then you just got to earn your way up you well know? and that's one of those things i think like sometimes in sports like you said like stats are great when you know you're looking at it on paper but there is something to like that the eye test you know like where you just you see something and recognize like the i don't know the greatness of it or the the uh, impracticality Manning. of it having, you know, actually uh, happened. Peyton Manning. Yeah. Good example, right. Like, and Peyton I, had I, a lot of the stats to back it up, but yeah, like he, I, he, he did a lot of the intangible things. His first yeah, season. Yeah. First. The first. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, go ahead. So. Yeah. When you look at a Peyton Manning who can actually look at a And I, again, Broncos fan. And I was on the fence when he came to Denver but I respect – I'm like, all right, if he does what he could do like any other time where he's able to read a defense and, and get all these hot routes like sorted out or all – if he can do all that, that'll be awesome. The first Omaha. season was Omaha. garbage. So <laughs> – but like nobody's done that. Nobody can do what Peyton Manning was capable of doing at the line, and I'm sorry. And his release was garbage. So, so I could always, I would always say, well, he he did have a very odd throwing motion. <laughs> but he, he but was it was able... also very compact, which allowed. I mean, it, you know, like because you get, and that's really the thing with some of the guys. I think you know where they've talked about guys that are like six, seven, and taller. 
playing quarterback is that you, because you're just you're that much bigger, your arms longer, that that wind up and delivery motion is is just that much more elongated. And in a sport like the NFL, where every hundredth of a second makes the difference Ow. between getting a playoff and not, right? You know, like that the that difference between you know an inch or so in terms of the the length of your arm can be a big difference. And that's where I think guys like Russell Wilson and Drew Brees, because they're smaller you know, in stature that maybe that is part of what gives them an advantage. Both those guys have like lightning quick releases. If you watch but them, I would also make the argument that the taller quarterbacks have an unfair advantage because they, they can, can see, they can see over the line. See, but I and, think that's only an advantage to a certain degree. Uh, once you get the path of the receiver or the tight end, like you're golden. Well, and, and that's what have- I think. Like you see guys like breeze and Wilson, where it's not even about necessarily seeing a guy open, but seeing the rest of the field and knowing like, oh, I can't see this guy, but based on where everybody else is, I know I can throw to this window where he ought to be running free. Like, I think that's part of what you've seen in like the evolution of of the NFL offenses is more like the the schemed up specifically to be like, okay, against this defense, this is the guy who's going to be open. Right. Well, look at Roethlisberger, like his, ability to see the path has made him to make actually allowed him to make some pretty awesome throws and yes. like so i can so and I, that's where i think like especially early on right where yeah, yeah. you know early on in your career the height is definitely an advantage but i think guys shorter guys that are able to play long enough you know gain the knowledge where they overcome that deficiency well, okay that's fair is that's, was more you. my point yeah i give you i'll give you that i agree i see that in, i mean the maybe we should do a top 20 because there's like probably qbs over history oh tom brady but, number one everybody knows it um <laughs> philip rivers number two wow you're just like <laughs> You're baby. Tied with Russell Wilson. <laughs> it's time for a good old fashioned debate. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. So I have a question. Yeah. So last week we talked about like help me understand this legalizing marijuana thing. Yeah. Like, help, help me understand why that's important. Because I want to preface it with this. I think we should decriminalize it. And that's probably the only thing I really care about. I Which has think... been done in, in, I think, the bulk of the states at this point. I think okay. over 50% of the, United, the, of the United States have now decriminalized marijuana. Um, but it also, uh, that kind of varies in terms of what that means from state to state, right? And even from county to county or city to city, because it ultimately depends on what the direction of the individual law enforcement units is in terms of that type of policing, right? Like right. I have a buddy um, who was a neighbor of mine growing up um, and he works for Sacramento police department and it spent a lot of time, you know, working uh, in the city and stuff like that. And I asked him about it once cause I was just kind of curious. I was like, so like, do you go around like actively looking to bust like, you know, pot dealers and stuff like that and kids smoking pot in the parks. And he's like, no, like I got way more important things to worry about. Like if I see some kids in a park and I smell pot, like, yeah, I'll probably go over and tell them to get lost. 
you know, and I may confiscate it, but I'm not going to arrest them. Like I haven't got time for that. Like I don't want to be sitting there filling out paperwork. (laughs) And so, you know, I think in some of those areas, right. And you know, that, especially when he was there, like the, in the part of Sacramento that he was working, wasn't great. Like there were way more important things for him to be focused on. Um, but I think you look at like an area like here, you know, in Cary, North Carolina, the Cary cops have nothing better to do. And there's a bunch of, you know, high school kids with a, right. a lot of disposable income. So, yeah, they're going to go buy weed and they're going to, you know, drive around and smoke it in their BMWs, I guess. Like, <laughs> And so I think in that environment, you know, like you see a lot more vigilant uh, policing. Um, so I, I think that I so. I want you to, all right, so what I want you to do is let's give me your take on it because yeah. my view is it's pretty narrow, right? I think it should be decriminalized, like you said, um, at best. What about mes- for medicinal purposes? I don't, I personally don't see the value, if I'm being honest. Like, I, I just don't buy that argument um, unless it's prescribed from a doctor or everybody's like, oh, this is my medicinal marijuana. Well, like, but so the, I mean, that's what I'm like, if, if there was a legitimate doctor that, like, if it... Would you have an issue with people using it in a legitimate way for medicinal purposes? Or or do you not believe that there are any medicinal purposes of cannabis? So I've heard the benefits for glaucoma. That's the only thing I've really heard, you know? Um, and yeah, I, I just don't understand. So, okay. So let me get my points out because I'm going to forget them all. <laughs> So I do think like if there's a legit reason and there's like some type of validation that that's actually true. Okay. So let's decriminalize. Let's look at uh, medicinal usage where it makes sense. But where I'm, what I always get stuck on is that we see this and we see medicinal or we see marijuana use or we in general as a way to be an economic tool right mm-hmm. and i don't necessarily agree with that i just think that's like so something that has been a criminal activity that's not going to go away you're saying now we can use that to bolster our economy and it's like eh, no because my my bias is typically when we do those things you ruin the inner city and we're looking. I have a feeling that we're trying to legalize it based on a suburban view, where some people may just use it recreationally. Oh, it, definitely. It, I mean, the, I, the push for marijuana legalization is 100%. I think coming from the suburbs. Like, I don't think there's that many people in the you know inner city that are concerned with marijuana legalization. Like, right? I'm not. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. You know, I think, yeah, it's it's mostly suburban, middle-class-ish people, I think, that, that yeah, like, want to use it recreationally. Um, and so I think, were there any other points that you had? Uh, yeah, and I'm concerned that we don't have enough, like, not that we need data to support this, but what, I, what I've seen and what I've researched, it just sends, I'm very confused. So the number of people under the influence car accidents and car deaths have, has skyrocketed in places with legalized marijuana number two the criminal element has skyrocketed you know where they have farms because people are still transport now they don't they can cut out the middleman of Mex- mexico or 
you know, the, the, the Gulf Coast and getting stuff into the country. Well, now you've seen like a, you know, almost a 10x increase of criminal transportation of marijuana from these states where it's legal to places where it's not. And I just, I'm very super, like, I believe what I believe. I just don't think it's the, I can't see a justification for legalization, but I can see a justification for decriminalization. So those are those are my points. Okay. Um, which one do I want to start with? <laughs> <laughs> I I let me let me start by saying I understand, you know where you're coming from with that. Personally, um, I am not opposed to marijuana legalization. But I'm also not like, I mean, and this is probably just more my personality in general. I'm not like beating down the doors being like, legalize weed, everybody get high. Right. Um, I think, I think there's a couple of issues. One, there is a, there is a certain stigma that's been associated with marijuana use since the, you know, early 1900s. Um, that hasn't gone away and part of the issue i think is the way that it's classified within the government prevents a lot of research from being done in the united states in terms of you know are there legitimate medical benefits and now i think you've seen this huge influx of cbd products into the non-legalized markets right so it's like in the legalized areas, you've got, you know, weed stores everywhere. And then in all the other places where it's either decriminalized or it's only available for medicinal purposes, it's like CBD and hemp shops are a dime a dozen. Like they're basically right. replacing all of the vape shops that popped up when that became, you know, a big <laughs> thing. Um, and I think, you know, like I use CBD occasionally, not very often, um, I've used it for my dog and it's been pretty effective for him just in terms of helping to like calm him down. And then I'm like high, but you know, like it'll kind of get him to chill out sometimes. Um, and I've never really noticed like a huge difference in my own, you know, personal use of CBD. Um, but you know, I think at times like, it seems like if I take a couple of the CBD gummies that I have before I go to bed, like it'll help me to sleep a little bit better at night and stuff like that. Um, I think, you know, you've seen a lot of the negative side effects of the legalization in Colorado recently where the homelessness and the homeless rate has just skyrocketed there. Property values yeah. are going through the roof. They completely renovated uh, and gentrified the entire like downtown area where all of these people were living. Um, right. And so now, I mean, you, you can't go onto the 16th Street Mall without seeing probably 20 to 30 homeless people within a couple of blocks, like depending on where you are. Um, and that... Like, I think that's one of those things where, you know, we've talked about there's a way to do things, right? And I think if you want to look at decriminalization and taking steps towards legalization, 
I think in a lot of cases what's happened is that people are just jumping the gun and it's like, no, just go full bore. You know, next week we're going to start making it legal to sell weed in Colorado. And, you know, here's a couple of rules that we slapped together because we had to, we figured we had to have something in place that we could call regulation. Um, right. And you guys will figure it out from there. Right. And without taking into the into account, like, okay, well, yeah, if you have this huge influx of money, what is that going to do to this area? I think you talked about the criminal element, which I think you've seen a lot of on the West Coast, right? Because of its connection with Mexico. And I think a lot of the cartels had, you know, set up networks and all that sort of stuff all along the West Coast. They were doing, you know, illegal grows out in the countryside and in state parks and stuff like that. Right. Um, I think, you know, part of the issue there is twofold one you know i i think part of it comes back to an issue we've discussed before which is states rights versus federal you know governance and because the federal government has classified marijuana as a i think it's a class one substance so it's on the same level as like cocaine and heroin and all that stuff um like basically any money that is associated with that can't go into it's a drug bank. money, so it can't go into a bank. So all of these places are cash only places, which means that, that yeah, like they are huge targets for people to rob them, or you know, for the cartels to come in and basically, uh, you know, extort them for money. Or I mean, yeah, you probably in a lot of cases have cartels that are essentially funding legal grow operations in some of these areas, and then what they're doing, like you said, is they're funneling huge portions of that. I mean, and I think you've seen that in a lot of the areas that are near those legalized states and even the ones that aren't that close to it, where there's a huge flood of products coming from the the states where that stuff is legalized. Like North Carolina. Into <laughs> states like North Carolina and, and elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Um, and so I think, you know, in some people's mind, they kind of look at legalization as like, well, everybody's basically doing it anyways. So we might as well make some money off of it. Um, you know, I look at, marijuana use as being much more akin to alcohol and tobacco use than I do heroin or cocaine. Okay. Personally, like I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just, and I've, I've heard that before and I, you know, I try to, I try to look at it from that vantage point, you know, um, and I think I just, you know, to your point, right? Like you were talking earlier about, well, it's something we're going to take something that's illegal and we're going to make money off of it. I mean, you could say the same thing about alcohol, right? Like, I mean, we went through prohibition, granted for a brief period of time, but people were so against it that the government basically had to throw up their hands and say, "Fine, you can have your booze back." And I think to some degree, that's where we are with marijuana, where the government's kind of getting to the point where, they're like, "Fine, take your weed, like Jesus, just you know." It? I'd what? rather you do it at home than have you go out and do it. <laughs> I don't know where you are. <laughs> I kind of feel like it's more of a, it's like the loudest voice gets to have the conversation point for me. It's like not everybody wants to partake in this sticky icky, you know? Um, well, sure. But I mean, you know, I don't, not everybody drinks, right? It's, I mean, there's probably, whether it's wine or beer, right? You pick your poison. So there are probably, there are a lot of people that would consider a glass of wine different from a, a glass of beer so sure in their mind it's not alcohol it's or a cocktail like, right like or, yeah so I, I i don't know if that's really a fair i i agree that it, it could be seen in the same light i don't know if it's the same like people 
see the two items the same way. Well, then how about tobacco? Same, no different. Heavy in the South. It's not really heavy across when, when people started saying in New York, you can't smoke. It wasn't that people were upset. They got over it in the South with a lot of tobacco farmers, et cetera, et cetera. Completely different argument. I don't feel that, uh, and the tobacco industry didn't really help itself out by, oh, okay. yeah. by you know, hiding and not disclosing all the potential ill effects. So I, I get the parallels. I don't understand the rush for a solution. And that's what kind of freaks me out. Because when you, if, even if you look at cigarettes, you look at alcohol, if, back in the days, if you went to, like, let's say, Harlem or Brooklyn or whatever, You'd see like the Schlitz malt liquor beer. Yeah. You wouldn't see that in the other boroughs. Right. You'd only see it in the black neighborhoods. You see like Newport signs everywhere. You didn't see that. You didn't see the advertising in non like white communities the same way you saw it in white communities. Sure. So it would be a commercial for the Marble Man, be a full page ad in a magazine for the Marble Man or whatever whatever brand. But in the in the other neighborhoods, it was a different message. It was more of a, and that's what kind of like freaks me out. Are we going to go and create another uh, item that creates codependency and then wonder what's happening with this particular neighborhood? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point. You know, I think you look at what ha what has happened with, you know, what we basically just went through with uh, vaping. Cool. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, where that stuff, you know, burst onto the market, all of a sudden it was the hottest thing. And then, oh crap, these super sweet flavors that everybody loves. Guess what? Kids love them too. And I mean, I, you know, I, we had a friend, uh, or, you know, common acquaintance who had a young, you know, kid that I think it was like 13 or something like that. And they were buying him you know, nicotine free vape juice and, and bought him a vape machine. And he was like That's 13 or 14 years old. Crazy. You know, and it was like, uh, why, you know, like well, I used a, a, you know, an electronic cigarette when I wanted to quit smoking. And even, you know, here recently, like within the last six months, I guess, or you know, five months, like quit using that altogether. Hello. How's the coloring going? Good. Good. You want to see some? <laughs> Maybe after the podcast, okay? Okay. <laughs> um, what was yeah, that? Yeah, so that's the night you're, you quit using you yeah, quit vaping. Right, right. And I, I quit vaping because, you know, I mean, in part, it, it was kind of coincidental. Like, I had been wanting to quit anyways. And then all of the news started coming out. My doctor said something recently because I, you know, told him I quit, and he was like, "Oh, it probably wasn't wasn't that hard with all the news that came out about those things." And I was like, "Yeah, you know, honestly, like I'd been using mine for years, and I'd never had any issues, so I wasn't really worried because I'm not a dumbass who just goes out and buys this stuff from a freaking gas station, you know? Like, I'm sorry, like <laughs> some people, I don't. Even that news was like kind of it was baited. It was yeah, people with uh, they were doing the cannabis. Yeah, uh, it was the, the 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 THC ones that they yeah, were buying, yeah. uh, you know, then the black market and and people, yeah, were putting a whole bunch of crap in those, 
because it, <laughs> yeah and and that's the thing again where you know it's like the freaking uh, all this news about oh my god go get toilet paper like you know you, you sh- there's a responsibility i think to some degree right in the news right. and the way that this stuff is reported but so much of that goes out the window when the goal is not to inform but the goal is to make money or the goal is to drive viewership and, and that's that's where i you know I struggle sometimes with the relationship between capitalism and certain elements of society, you know, like capitalism and healthcare to me don't seem like an area where people should be profiting off of other people's illnesses. Ultimately. Totally agree. Like, and I think we, we've created or found ourselves in a system where the most beneficial thing for everyone in that system other than the patients is to have people who are chronically ill with something who require constant treatment and constant medication because it's a source of income, right? I mean, it's no different than, you know, having it's different, but it's analogous to having somebody sign up for your newsletter, right? On on a website, if they're a visitor and they're just coming in and hitting the site every so often, yeah, you might make a little bit of money off of them. But if you're able to reach out and, and touch them, you know, every week with an offer, you're much more likely to engage them. It's the same thing with people coming into the hospital, right? Like, or, or people going shopping at the store, right? Like Walmart got me today where I, they, you know, toilet paper's out. So I walk into Walmart to go buy toilet paper. There's no toilet paper. What do I walk out with? The stuff that I needed plus a Dwight Funko bobblehead doll because it, I saw it and I was like, oh, it's 10 bucks. I got to buy that. So, I mean, I don't, um, I don't disagree. I just, I'm kind of concerned about the, you know, the, the after effects of, Let's legalize. And there's not really, aside from the convenience of not getting arrested for smoking weed, I can't think of a benefit. It's like. Well, so I would say, you know, one other element that has kind of intrigued me about it is there are areas throughout the country where a considerable amount of money is spent policing and incarcerating people for marijuana offenses. Okay. Huh? just decriminalize it well right but that's and that's where i think again right decriminalization ultimately means different things and so so all right so you've heard about canada right yeah and i I do know where canada is it's (laughs) our neighbors to the north eh? yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know those guys um so my question would be like the government tried to like become the dispenser for the entire country. Right. And they're bankrupt or they're, they're losing money. Yeah. Right. I don't think the government should be in charge of, well, of dispensing marijuana. I I mean, I like, I hate the ABC store model that we have here in North Carolina. Like, I think that's absolutely ridiculous that you have to go to a government sanctioned County store to buy liquor. Like, I mean, there are every other, California has no problem. Like every other state in the freaking yeah. Like, no issue selling liquor in freaking you know convenience stores like and that's just that's a you know that's a southern thing like that's how they got over the whole prohibition thing so right. that's you know states rights and then it's like okay well i can choose to go to another state if that really bothers me right if it was that big of a deal yes like yeah absolutely and we, you know i come, think you, sorry, come back southern on the border and then you have the people that in florida not, not florida uh, california and i want to say denver where they 
they're actually as Cal California where they repurpose a bunch of orchards, orchards, mm-hmm. or, orchards, or, orchards <laughs> to uh, to grow weed. Yeah, and they've overproduced it. Sure. So the demand is never. I mean, so I think for me it kind of concerns me that are we just listening to people that are really loud and consistent about what they want and it's not really a market for it. And we're going to make that, you know, we're going to open up Pandora's box and see what, and see what happens. And so for me, it's like the, if the demand is not really there per se, well, actually it's not because they're over, it's going to take, uh, I saw one estimate like a hundred years to sell that much weed. So it's like, but see, that's where I really, like, I wonder to some degree, right. I'll, I, and to some, I know we talked a little bit about conspiracy theories last time. Maybe this is a little, the conspiracy theorist in me coming out a little bit, but I would imagine that a large percentage of those legal grow operations in California, especially like the more corporate ones, are selling a lot of that stuff on the black market under the table. So, what problem have we solved? Or they're actually growing it for a black market. Or that. I mean, but I think especially, right, like to your point, what you essentially have done is just relocated the source of this stuff from outside the country to inside the country. Right. You know? And so, you know, there's nothing that's really done when you go from state to state, you know, in terms of like border patrol. Um, Right. Not much, really, unless you happen to be near the Mexican border. Um, <laughs> even then, not really. So much. Yeah, even then, it's literally oh, two guys in a twenty-six foot Penske truck are driving through the New Mexican desert. Are you both from the United States? Yes, sir. All right, have a good day. That was the extent of our border patrol crossing. Like, like, yeah. I mean, and it, yeah. I was laughing with my uncle about it, and he was like, "Well, yeah. I mean, you guys don't fit the profile, you know." And the, they're looking at how the truck's riding, and you know whether or not you know if it's. You guys are driving. That's basically a brand new truck. It was like they don't rent those to move people across the state. <laughs> but yeah, I just I don't know. I mean, I'm look. I think again, we are very much of a similar opinion on this. Where I think I am wholeheartedly for decriminalization. I think we need to reclassify it so that we can do more research to determine the true potential medicinal benefits before moving forward with that i think in a lot of cases there are there are people who have experienced or who have found relief from certain symptoms it's not a cure but yeah because you're high well yeah but i mean in a lot of cases with prescription pills you're it's the same thing you're just getting somebody high you're numbing certain parts of the brain to prevent them from having to feel that and in a lot of cases, those prescription medications have a ton of nasty side effects that you don't have when people are using marijuana. That we're aware of. That we're aware of, in large right. part because we can't do the studies. And okay. so yeah. I think that's where I think my push would be much more to let's reclassify it to something where we can actually do the research on it. Right now, there is one place in the United States that the University of Mississippi where yep. they can grow legally marijuana for research purposes and i believe it's also the only place where you can actually do the research in the united states which is ridiculous like i saw that on a uh, documentary they were talking about uh the the budding legal legalized markets and (laughs) budding yeah i did a pun (laughs) (laughs) and they were talking about uh you know 
the edibles, yeah. right? Um, in specific, where the mix or the amount of THC in the in the is often inconsistent. Sure. And what's the country Denmark where they actually have the uh, the cafes where? Well, it was Amsterdam. Amsterdam, yeah. Okay, yeah. Amsterdam. So they're in the same boat we are and people, and this is probably another frustration. We keep looking at other places saying, Oh, Amsterdam's got to figure it out. Actually, that's not true. My friends, because Amsterdam is, is hardcore strict on their legalized air quotes, like uh marijuana. Right. So it's like, we're taking that. It's another instance of the United States wanting to take a shortcut to get what they want without yes. actually doing the work to figure out, okay, what's the best thing. Right. Um, and that's and, why and, I think, you know, again, right. Reclassifying and de decriminalizing at the federal level, just to basically set that bar for the States, you know, and, and have that be kind of the new normal and then allow the individual States, I think, you know, at that point to determine, do you want to allow it for medicinal purposes? Do you want to allow it for recreational purposes? Ultimately, we're going to leave that up to you. And I and I I like that route better because I you know uh, it's like the minimum wage argument. Right. It's, it's time for politics. Wait again. We don't have to wait for the federal government to set a minimum wage. No, we can push for that at the state. But again, I think right like the goal of the federal government minimum wage is more to set the 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 low side of the bar, and it's been a long time since anybody's moved that bar. <laughs> okay, okay. And I'm not saying that it has to go from seven twenty five to fifteen, but I think you know. But you see my point. We don't yes. have to like. So if I'm a state and there are issues that come up as bills because here, imagine this state. We as citizens of a state decide that we want our minimum wage to be $15 an hour. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we get, you know, our representatives to get that bill created without all the other fluff that people add to bills. Didn't they do that in and, California? Yeah. Well, I think so. In New yeah. York. I mean, I know that they've got higher yeah, minimum wages than, than, yeah, you, than the federal. Yeah, you just actually go and get it done, and then you move on. And then if I'm that state where I've got, when I look at that state, let's say I'm Amazon, and I want to open my next headquarters, and I see that as a benefit of like all the things where the people that live in that state or whatever are just like, yeah, we've got to figure it out. Of course I want to bring my headquarters there. Make the states comp like literally compete with each other without giving tax you know, yeah. advantages to companies, but make literally make them compete. So where you're actually but isn't that part of where and and maybe I'm I, I feel like that's been part of the issue or what is perceived to be part of the issue is that the states with the lower minimum wage are where those companies tend to end up. And so then it's more of a race to the bottom for the states to see like, well, who can keep their minimum wage the lowest in order to remain the most competitive within the, the pricing market. But that's that's a really weird way to look at it because if you notice where they put all these places, they want to put them in metros where the property taxes are higher and the cost of living is higher. So you're not going to get the, you're probably not going to attract people that are willing to work at minimum wage at, at these places. So, so then what about you, the argument that if you raise the minimum wage that, you know, you have to pay $10 for your hamburger at McDonald's? Then so be it. 
like figure it. I mean, McDonald's can figure that out because McDonald's. My my my, part of my question is like, if you have these states like California and New York where they've already raised the minimum wage, do hamburgers cost ten dollars there? Actually, that's a good question. I'm going to Google that. (laughs) I I I don't imagine that they do, but. I mean, I'm sure you can find a $10 hamburger. I can find a $10 hamburger here in North Carolina. but Right now, without even going to McDonald's, right? Yeah. So you get any, like, you know, fast casual or sit-down restaurant and, bing, $10. Um, a gallon of milk, though. So if am I willing to pay $7 for a gallon of milk? The answer is yes. If it means that the minimum wage works for everybody. Yeah. And most people, unfortunately, you know, in this area, don't work for minimum wage. Right. But that's um, that's where I think a lot of people lose sight of it, right? Is that it's not it's not about its impact on you as an individual, right? Like, yeah, you might have to pay a little bit more for everything that you buy because you're helping somebody else who does a job that allows you to do that thing. Yeah. And you're providing them with the ability to have a living wage. Like, and, and that's right. Yeah, like, I don't... I don't think the government needs to do that. You know, we were talking about unions earlier and I think, you know, like unions show up when you have organizations that get greedy and stop doing things that are in the best interest of the, the, the workers. Right. And I think it's when that unwritten contract between employee and employer is broken, that you ultimately end up with these pushes for unionization because it feels like, this is the only way that we're ever going to get them to listen to us is if we all stand together and say, you either listen to us or we leave, which is essentially what a union ultimately, that's the only leverage that they have, right? Is that we're going to walk out. Um, and that that's only going to hurt them for like a month. Well, right. And I, I think ultimately what you see, I mean, so, you know, my dad grew up in Detroit in the you know automotive boom of the fifties and sixties and seventies. And, it had a lot of direct experience with the unions and everything. And he was not a big union guy in large part because he felt like, you know, guys who hadn't necessarily weren't working hard, you know, were it's kind of like tenure for a professor, right? right? You work a certain amount of time or you get to a certain level within the union and then you just kick up your feet and you don't give a shit and you treat everybody else like shit because what are they going to do? They can't get rid of you. Right. You know, and so that was, you know, they, they had all these rules and regulations where it's like, you know, he was talking about how he was telling the story when I was out with him in Arizona where, you know, he would do test drives for the guys, the engineers, when they would develop the cars. And so they would do all the developing and then they'd have these test drivers who would go out, do the driving and then come back and report, well, this is what it felt like and this and this. And the engineers hated it because they wanted to be the ones out driving to actually feel what it felt like. Right. But they had to rely on somebody else to give that feedback to them. And so he became pretty popular with them because they'd go out and he'd pull over and he'd say, well, do you want to drive? And they go, well, I can't, you know, I'm going to get in trouble with the union. And he's like, I don't give a shit. Like, come on, it's your car. You put this together, you drive. And he'd let him go drive and then they'd swap seats and go back. And so it was like, you know, the, all the engineers would whisper, well, if you know, Hey, if, uh, if you want to drive your car after you put it together, just go make sure you request Bob Smith. Like, and it's just, you know, like that's the kind of stuff where I think unions ultimately can get in the way, right? Or can impede things that make a lot of sense or that make more sense right. because it's just, it's adding bureaucracy, right? 
but but again they have a they exist for a reason because ultimately they're designed to protect workers in situations where an organization is taking advantage of them but i think the danger comes when we start this whole let's blanket every every company's got to be a union and and i just think that's a union right yeah and i i just i Tetchy said this the other day. She goes, you hate Bernie Sanders. I said, I don't hate the guy. I think he's got, I really do believe he's got some good points. There is, there's merit to the things he says. What freaks me out is the potential for damage to, to how things currently work. And if, if nobody gets that during, especially during this lockdown, then you're a fool. Right. Like the minute you start to disrupt a working system and just, and and just you know clog up all the gears and what have you you get panic you get what we're currently living with right now <laughs> so uh and i'm not i'm not actually i am i don't hate bernie sanders and i don't hate <laughs> i do... i all right so for those listening i don't know if this gets edited out so i was like talking hell like he's going to like I hear the whisper and I stop because I feel like I'm interrupting. No, uh, <laughs> I can't do two things at once. Um, so I don't hate Bernie Sanders. I think I do believe he's got merit. I, it's so different than I, I didn't dislike President Obama. I just disagreed with his policies. And it's from, and from my vantage point, these people work for us. It's not their job to complicate and make things difficult. If anything, they should be providing a path and a way to improve the situation and not create creating chaos and some level of anarchy. And currently right now in our country, we are we are living in what happens when you don't actually have somebody driving the car. Yeah. And if anybody that thinks that, well, you know, Bernie Sanders is the right answer, and I'm not I don't know how this is going to come off, but poorly. (laughs) (laughs) But if he had his way and we just decided to disrupt everything, this is what we'd be living. We'd be living in a time of uncertainty. And obviously as a country, we're not prepared for that. And, you know, I do like, so if we want to talk about his biggest points, Medicare for all, totally totally get it dude i think we totally can figure out a way to fix our healthcare system but how about we go back here's a, here's an idea crazy idea let's go back to the plain jane version of the uh, affordable care act and let's rip out all the deals that the pharmaceutical companies had right. and let's see if that works and then let's move on so because i know a lot of companies dropped employees i know people that dropped employees because they couldn't afford to meet the requirements of the Affordable Care Act. Right. So that wasn't even in of itself perfect. Yeah, I mean, there were places that started cutting back the number of hours that people worked to, you know, like 19 and three quarters because anybody over 20 hours a week was required to be, you know, provided with health care. And right. so then it's like, ultimately, you put a policy in place that doesn't help anybody and does way more damage then it was then you know it then it actually helps right. <laughs> you know and that's like to your point and i think it's a symptom of of our government and the way that things are set up where you know things go through so many committees and through the house and then the senate and 
you get so many people involved in it that it's, you know, it's a, it's a horse by committee, right? Like you end up right. with this ugly ass camel, um, that isn't really good at anything <laughs> except <laughs> holding, retaining a bunch of water, I guess. And like walking through the desert. I don't know. I feel bad now. I feel like I'm bashing on camels unnecessarily, but what I, what I'm trying to say is you end up with a piece of legislation that, that ultimately doesn't really help anybody and this is where I think people get frustrated and you start to get a lot of the conspiracy theorists feeling like they're right because the people who end up getting helped are people like the pharmaceutical companies, right? And the right. people who have a lot of money invested in our government right now. And it's hard not to look at that and feel like, man, I, I mean, I see money over here. I see policies being written over here that are helping the people who are giving money and not really doing much to help all the people who are getting taxed regularly. Am I crazy for thinking there's a connection? There? <laughs> right. I mean, you're, you're, you're crazy if you don't see the connection, but I do think that it's high tide that we get big, big companies and big donors out of politics at some level. Right. I mean, with the Getting rid of the super PACs, uh, the, what is it, the citizens united that made corporations people like all of that stuff needs to be. And that's again, where I think, you know, like for me, I, I don't know where to start. Right. Like, I, because that's all at the federal level and you start, start there. You, so you, if it's possible for Kim Kardashian to influence the president of the United States to re, uh, review certain uh convicted people right yeah and i'm not i'm I, i'm not bashing her i think what she did was noble and right. i you know it yielded a good but result she holds a certain position within society so let's not pretend like she's a nobel laureate you know okay okay that's fair <laughs> yeah, but, but i mean she's an example of somebody that used you know the, the influence she had sure. for the right reason right so let's multiply that by, well, let's just get 350, 49 million more of her. That would be the United States population, right? Let's, if we looked at it in a more practical way and the things that we needed to happen, and we, you know, there are actually people that were concerned about the well-being of everybody, not this, this sugar-coated, in it for, not all of us, it's not true. You have to look at both sides of the argument. And I'm not saying that we we bastardize these pharmaceutical companies because who's going to make the drugs we need? No, you but need I, somebody to make the drugs without a well, doubt. But yeah, like there needs to be. <laughs> there needs to be like, it doesn't make sense that insulin costs $725. Exactly. I mean, for, they, you, you know, the, a ride in an ambulance costs $30,000. I'm sorry. Like. I could buy my own ant. Well, I could buy a car and just drive myself. Exactly. To the I mean, and that's the kind of stuff where it's like, you know, somebody has an incident where they're in a public place and it's not them that called the ambulance. You right. know, somebody else calls 911 and an ambulance shows up. And that's probably the last thing that that person wanted because now they're sitting there going, now I got to pay for this. Like, so, you know, I'm, I, I don't know what it, I do know what it takes. It takes people actually being, so we can't be committed to these issues for like every election cycle. That's right. part have of to actually be committed for the entire time. Like, right. And then, then we have to look at ways to like, it's kind of like this guy, uh, Robert Reich, uh, this economist I, I liked after watching his documentary. Then I saw him on Twitter. I was like, I just 
Yeah, so I think uh, he has some good points. I think he's a pretty smart guy. I think he has walked into that same trap that so many people now find themselves in where it's all about creating this like brand and personality, you know, that I have to be the smartest guy on Twitter sort of thing. And aren't you such a dumbass if you don't understand what I'm talking to you about? Yeah. Like that's where, cause I used to follow him on Facebook and I loved watching a lot of his videos where he just explains a lot of the, you know, more complex elements of economics and those sorts of things and found it to be very useful but the more and more why didn't, why didn't you tell me I, I i totally was like hyping up his freaking documentary and you should like yeah just don't follow him on twitter <laughs> no i didn't because didn't i don't i don't like to influence people like that like ultimately no, i want you to make up your mind it's like dude no, you're probably come on, i mean like yeah if you were gonna if you were gonna step in like a big puddle with like a new pair of shoes yeah that'd be a dick thing to do but telling you not to follow a guy on twitter like but if you tell me why, like he's going to start railing about, I mean, but, but think about it. That's a cautionary tale, yeah. right? If that's a, that's a very good live example of like why people need to have better conversations. Right. Yeah. I was totally touting this guy as being like, yeah, this guy's a genius, but the whole picture doesn't add up. Right. It's almost this, you know, and if we can't have those conversations and I'm not putting you on blast here, but it's a, it's a good example of like, yo dude, like you're, my experience with X is this. Yeah. And you're probably going to find by going down this path, you're not going to be like rocking with that. So I that, mean, at the end of the day, I'm not a very good friend. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Like I, I'm reading, <laughs> I'm reading some of this guy's tweets. I'm like, yo, where did that come from? Like, <laughs> like I thought you were. Like, In reality, I I I thought about saying something, and I was like, nah, it'll be way funnier to talk about it on the podcast <laughs> when Andre reads this guy's tweets. It'll be hilarious. <laughs> but that's it. But it, in, yeah, it wasn't. I was kind of pissed. I was like, you're telling, yeah, this guy totally on Facebook goes off the rails all the time. Like, I don't want, I don't want to be part this of was that. Also, I mean, this was also like two years ago. Cause I mean, cause he came on pretty strong in support of Bernie Sanders um, during the last, the previous election cycle and was okay. pushing pretty hard for him. And then after it was really, I mean, part of it, I think was just that, after the election, I tuned out a lot of political stuff. And so he kept pushing a lot of that. And I just was like, ah, I'm not. And so that was part of it. Uh, but I also like I felt like the more that I'd seen him pop up on other social channels, the more that I felt like he was playing to a specific audience kind of, right. you know, and that's that was where I was like, uh, OK, you kind of lost me. And that was the big turnoff for me. So I sent you that article last week about uh maybe overestimation of Bernie Sanders appeal. Yeah. Did you read yes, I did. what do you think about that? Um, yeah. I mean, I think honestly, it's a lot of the same stuff that we've talked about. Right. You know, I think you have, I think they overestimated. I think 2016 was the peak for right. him in the democratic party. Right. And they thought it was more, you know, like they were on the precipice and they were almost there. And so that the next time it was going to be just that much more to get him over. And I think, you know, what you saw this time, I thought the article made some really good points that early on he wasn't like there were signs early on that he wasn't going as well as the previous election cycle had gone. Um, you know, I still think like we talked about last time, 
there is obviously a good chunk of the country that supports a lot of his ideas. Um, and I think, you know, even you and I agree with a lot of what he wants to get done. It's more about how do we go about doing it? Um, and so, you know, I mean, ultimately I don't know that, you know, I certainly don't think Joe Biden is the guy that's going to, have a lot of the answers or even necessarily put people in place that are going to have the right answers to try and fix a lot of this stuff. Um, I think, you know, I, I'm certainly ready to try anything other than what we have right now. Um, yeah. cause if nothing else, I'm just kind of tired of being embarrassed as a country. Like, I, I mean, and the last time I remember, I think kind of feeling <laughs> this way was those last like two years of the, the W administration. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I voted for the guy and I was like, dude, what happened? Last so did I. Months? I mean, yeah, the, the second term, like I, yeah. that was my very first election I got to vote in. My parents had been Republicans, uh, you know, had voted Republican for as long as I could, you know, had been alive. And yeah. so, yeah, I was, I was so excited to go vote for George Bush. Uh, I had a W sticker on the back of my car and everything like, wow, I didn't know you then. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I yeah. The last 18 months was sad for him. And and I, I just, what I want for myself is not to come out of this election cycle and be bitter because I think a lot of the, the, everything on Twitter can make you bitter. Um, and I don't, I don't think that it's about combining the part, unifying the party. I think it's about actually, doing the work of you know solving the issues yeah um because i you know i really feel like um you're not going to unify nobody's going to unify either or party the issue is how do we figure out a way to get things on the table and get legislation passed and to go and clean up some messes so we can you know right the ship because we're just way off we were way off the rails well Um, and i think you know (laughs) really i think you could argue to some degree right that the kennedy nixon election where that was like the first debate that was televised i think that really changed what i think people started looking for in a politician you know it, it wasn't about experience like it wasn't about practicality or or you know like those sorts of things, it became much more of a popularity contest, you know, of like a beauty pageant where it's like, you know, here's a list of questions we have prepared. What's your answer, Miss November? You know, like those are the kind of, like, that's basically what the debates boil down to at this point. It's all a bunch of prearranged questions that they have their answers memorized to. Um, you know, I, I would love, and, and assuming that they had, I, I would love to see a, a political candidate that came out and, refuse to play the politics game who isn't going to run any sort of negative ad isn't going to even talk about opponents other than to debate the merits of their policies and the plans to put them in place right you know like that's the type of debate that i would actually watch if what you mean john mccain sure i like john mccain me too. That's what put him on the chopping block, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Was the fact that he refused to, to play that game. Right. 
And um, I think, I mean, but then that's me personally. Obviously, there are, is, I don't think there's enough people in America that understand that or realize that or are willing, you know, or agree with me. I and mean, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe it is better to have a pretty face and, or, you know, an orange face, I don't know, in the <laughs> office. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, I just hope that, um, I, I do think, I know you sent me something about the uh, three future indicted <laughs> senators, and I real I really believe that a lot of the focus on this top down stuff and it happens yeah. at the presidential cycle is the wrong focus. Yeah. You know, um, and I could tell you states and like Tennessee doesn't have a state income tax; they do pretty well for themselves. They're actually their economy is stable most of the time. Florida. They don't they don't close their sessions without a balanced budget. Yeah. It works out pretty well. Florida, they figured a way to, you know, work on free college for students. And it's still merit based on your grades, which is fine. But they figure that out. How do you scale that? Um, Massachusetts figured out most of the healthcare problem before everybody else did. So I, I, I guess my point is like the, the evidence is there that these things can be done in this country what's the break and if it were me if i had this this awesome state that had free health care free or a way to provide free college and it doesn't have to be free college but a way or a path to that and i figured out a way to have a higher minimum wage and people wanted to live in my state i i guarantee you this if that were the case and it didn't matter like an amazon or somebody wanted to get a new hq you know where they want to go where the people are at yeah what would be i, I doubt that you would see like a, a state like, oh, we just can't take any more. Oh, it could happen. We can't take any more people. We don't have any place for them to live. Well, right. I mean, well, you, you look at North Carolina, right? And where where are companies investing and setting up shop? Then the RTP, so like Raleigh and Durham and Charlotte. Right. Like those are the primary areas because that's where people are moving to. You know, like Raleigh is one of the fastest growing cities in the country, if not the world. Um, and so, yeah, like that's, that makes sense. And then there's the, you know, North Carolina has a lot of other benefits and I think, you know, I mean, getting good healthcare here would be (laughs) just another one. (laughs) And that's where I think like this, it's so short sighted in, in this, right. Like this bickering bullshit that we deal with in this two party system where it's just, you know, well, I'm in charge now, and so I'm going to piss all over you because I feel like last time you were in charge, you did the same thing to me. And it's like, yeah, but ultimately, like, can't we actually do the thing you guys are supposed to be in office to do? Like, right. can we find people to elect to office that actually want to do the right things and aren't just in it for their own personal gain? Like, it, it, do those people exist? Is it possible to go into politics without ultimately being corrupted and focusing only on what's good for you like i i honestly don't know it's it it concerns me because like part of me wants to go get into politics in order to try and change this stuff part of me too and i'm sitting there going like i don't want to be one of those fucking assholes that's the last thing i want to do but i've seen mr smith goes to washington i know what happens (laughs) i so i think about possibly going into politics but um you, you one thing i i often think about is the first time i got promoted to to run a team and then I got promoted again and again and again the further and further you get removed from like what got you there in the first place I remember there was a time where I was coming back from Charlotte and I just had this nagging thought that 
yeah, well, I'm getting so far removed from the struggles of the team. Yeah. And I had to course correct and spend more time with my team and also remember like, yeah, I'm not like flying at 40,000 feet. So I do think it's possible, but I think that, you know, you surround yourself with people that hold, you know, help you to hold yourself accountable. It's but, just, I, I get, you know, it's frustrating, I guess, because it seems like those people either don't exist or they're very quiet. Yeah. Or they're, or they're, yeah. Like, or maybe they just don't exist at that federal, you know, like national level. Maybe that's, those are more the people who stay close, but I would love to see, you know, somebody who, who honestly wanted to be president, not because they wanted to be president, but because they felt like they needed to be. Right. You know, and I don't feel like we have those people right now. Like, I don't I think we have a bunch of people who aren't in it for anybody but themselves. Bernie Sanders included, you know, like ultimately, I don't I think Bernie's got some good ideas. And I think he knows that he could potentially help some people along the way. But Bernie's more interested in Bernie, like at the end of the day, because if he wasn't, I'm sorry, but he would be giving away a lot more of his money than he does. (laughs) Like, and that's I'm not trying to I'm not. I'm not saying that in a, in a sense of like everybody should give away every penny that they earn. Like I, you know, don't, I'm not, but you got three houses, you got plenty of money. You talk about how you want everybody, you know, to have a fair share. Like, so it's the elitist mentality. That's something that always freaks me out. I blame president Obama for Donald Trump and for Bernie Sanders. And this is why fun fact, he roasted both of them at the, uh, the white house, uh, journalist dinner, mm-hmm. like he roasted, and both the people he roasted have run for president. And I think if he didn't roast them, can he so go bad, roast somebody decent? Like, please, <laughs> he needs to like have somebody like, all right. So I like this person. They're pretty, you know. But um, yeah, I, I I agree, and I, I think the elitist mentality it's something that I mean, we live in the suburbs in a, the wealthiest county in the state, yep. uh, so we have to be, you know. I I can't forget where I come from because I'm reminded every day when I look in the mirror. So yeah, I mean you're Jenny it, from the block. I know, right? Yeah, woo. So, like, what grand? <laughs> what keeps me grounded, unfortunately, is that cold dose of reality of being like a black man in America because somebody's always quick to remind me. Um, and then then you can't be so like. I don't know. It's like people, they rise so fast in politics and they fall pretty hard. Like Andrew Gillum. Yeah. Like that poor dude, like everybody was on his bandwagon, but he's got a drug habit. So. Yeah. That whole thing. <laughs> so, I mean, he's like buck naked in a hotel. Like, with, I'm I, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. And there, I don't know. So that's again, like we talk about conspiracy theorists, man. Like I read that whole story and I'm just like, that's a lot of, like that's just a lot and i you know it like it's like a movie script like you could see somebody sitting there like drugging this guy putting him in a hotel room forcing the freaking escort to overdose you know like calling up some random dude who's supposed to go find him and call the police like that's all like baggies of drugs just laying around soiled like sheets like nah i don't think that like i don't know man i'm just being honest like there's a part of me that looked at that and was like this dude got set up like that (laughs) somebody in the party was like "Mm -mm, you lost to a republican in florida you're done man we're getting rid of you like 
Well, it's Florida, so like <laughs> anything's possible. God, but I just. But yeah, I mean, I you know, I certainly feel for the guy's family. Like, I I hope if I'm assuming it's all legitimate, which I do. Uh, in reality, it's just it's just crazy though to think like some of this stuff you you, you almost can't make it up. Can't make it up, dude. When I saw that, my I was like, "What did he do?" <laughs> I was like, the I saw the headline. I was just browsing through. I'm like, I don't want to read that. And I, was, I read everything else. I'm like, "What happened there?" Like he was drunk in a hotel and that was a headline andrew yeah. gillen found drunk in a hotel or something like that i'm like all right let me find out what this guy's not did. a big deal and i'm like yo my dude <laughs> like yo, you went all out bro yeah like you were supposed to be at a wedding you didn't show up and that's when dudes started looking for him and when they find you you're like buck naked <laughs> passed out with some guy who od yeah come on bro so you know yeah my heart does go out to his family but that's why i don't like to find out about people of celebrity i don't want to know about their personal lives because there's something that i just don't want to know like um, so you feel like if like maybe politics were better previously because we didn't have all of this information like yeah. all the cd stuff about the about our leaders like we're better off not knowing yeah because there's some things you just don't want to know <laughs> like i'm being honest like as long as you're in public office you like i do appreciate the fact they have to disclose uh, financial transactions well, it's supposed to supposed to um that i don't yeah i mean and those those guys selling off a bunch of shares and i you know like i was it the um lady whose last name starts with l um yeah, yeah. I, the one i botched her name earlier yeah, yeah i'm not even gonna bother i'm just gonna let you have a botch that one um she was arguing basically that like i don't even manage that account somebody else made those transactions for me Yada yada, and it's like, yeah, but you gotta also look at the fact that that was made like 24 hours after you got this information, and there were no other transactions that even remotely resembled that large of a transition of money or shares. Like, and your husband works where? Oh yeah, oh, at the stock exchange. He's, he's the CEO of the Nasdaq or the NYSE. Yeah. Yo. I mean, again, that, like you can't really, you almost can't, you can't make this stuff up, like. <laughs> you can't like you'd have to stretch that out i mean uh burr is like his over explanation of what he got caught doing is so garbage yeah. i'm like well, north carolina is definitely voting for two new senators like well tillis was tillis wasn't going to run or burr yeah i think tillis wasn't going to run again in 2022 so it doesn't matter right probably going to be a democrat and burr is pretty much out the door i could have that reversed but no, I think I mean Tillis is the older one, if I'm not mistaken, and I think you're right that he was not planning to run again in 2022. And then Burr, I mean Burr has been a pretty like, you know, in entrenched Republican within the state of North Carolina. Um, anti. Yeah. The, that's the really weird part because like the way the news got reported was because he's anti-Trump. Like that was one thing that was Fox a big News part had. of it. Yeah. I mean, I think Fox news was pushing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're like, yeah, we got one. So, um, yeah. And, and I, I just want to say one last thing about just like where we are politically. And I know we started on heavy with the coronavirus or uh, COVID-19. Um, yeah. I don't know what the editing of this episode is ultimately going to look like. Cause this is, we, you know, we got all these Helena commercials and, <laughs> everything but yeah we'll, we'll figure it out sorry so you were saying we started off heavy with COVID-19 updates yeah I uh, I just hope that like 
we in New York when, when 9-11 happened, everybody says we won't forget. <laughs> we did forget. Like in, a lot of <laughs> yeah. We we will forget, like um and I'm not a Democrat. So I'm I'm saying like for both both parts of the aisle, like I, disclaimer, I am very conservative when it comes to like how we like invest in our country. Social issues, I'm somewhat on the fence about. I'm moderate to like, eh, I don't really care. He's and a most, bleeding heart hippie. Yeah. Yeah. Something they just don't care about. Some things are important to me. Um, but I think that we should have a sense of fairness when it comes to those things and make sure that we don't put people in an awkward position for who they are as a country. And that's where I probably delineate from a lot of the hyper conservative Republicans. Um, Nobody puts I, baby in the corner. Yeah, yeah, I get, I get. People make fun of me for being a Republican. They keep calling Trump my dude. I'm like, that's not my dude. Well, you're a Republican. That's not my dude. I don't rock with yeah, him. But you're not even technically a Republican anymore. You said you're just a conservative. And even yeah, that, like, I mean, you really are like that. I mean, and that's where I think a lot of people ultimately do fall in this country is like fiscally a little more on the conservative side, social economic or social issues, a little more on the liberal side. Like, yes, there are plenty of people who are conservative financially and also hardcore conservative, you know, um, socially as well. But I think that the bulk of the people ultimately, like we want to spend, invest our money and spend it wisely on programs that are ultimately going to do good things and help the people that need them. We don't want people that don't need help taking advantage of those systems because we know that that ultimately costs us more money and makes the system less efficient. Right. And I, and I, even the social issues, I, I, um, there, there are probably like the marijuana thing is something I'm on the fence. Like I'm on the fence about don't really have a dog in that fight, but I'm cautious. And there are some other social, I won't even bring it up because it's a hot topic. And like, I know how, I know what's in my heart about it. I just, like I can't express it in a way that doesn't come off inflammatory. So <laughs> I just try to, I never talk about it in public. It's just kind of like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm really down with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I do have friends that are close to that issue. And I'm like, and I ask them and they don't think I'm being a jerk about it. I just feel there are some issues in public that we, we polarize them so much. You can't have the other side of the conversation. And I, you know, you can't have I, a conversation at all. Yeah. And I think, it's where we where we find ourselves in a lot of political discussions now is it's yeah it's like oh you're a republican well that's immediately a disqualifier i no longer am going to value or you know um like listen to anything that you have to say and that's where i think you know like that's where i get really frustrated that's where i want to see more change from both sides and i know like you know it's I feel like in a lot of cases when that when when I say that or other people say like hey we just like let's have the conversation without all of the vitriol that it's taken very much in the same way that you know when President Trump said well there's good people on both sides about the you know rallies in Virginia right and I don't think that that holds true at all I think that that's an extension of what we're seeing right now where it's this well if you're a Republican then you ultimately support white supremacists and white supremacy and might as well have been driving that car in that rally right. in Virginia. And I think that that's complete crap. Like that is crap. You know, and I hope, and I hope people, I really, and, and I'll end it by saying like, I hope people don't forget. There's a lot of, 
cracks in our armor as a society, whether it's the the lack of paper, of toilet paper, whether it's the well, lack dirty of cracks. Yeah. <laughs> the lack of leadership and how we handle this. I, I mean, freaking Cuomo is killing it, dog. Yeah. I was like, yo, New York is on point. Represent. This is uh, also the, uh, the guy in Maryland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has I mean, also so, been like, you know, he's uh, reading, you know, Republican and like, dude has just been absolutely crushing it because he's just like, look, this is what we know. This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. We need everybody on the same page. Newsom in California killing it yeah. like um uh, the guy from illinois doing a great job the governor from texas doing a great job and i think people at the end of the day once you when you have no other choice but to be a person and like just deal with things as they are people just deal with things the way they are they don't they don't bring the the, the political back scratching into play and i think yeah. that people i hope this disruption in our day-to-day people don't forget that and Hopefully there's a, you know, just like the Sanders camp had a good movement of progressive quote unquote ideas. Hopefully there is a, a, a sense of we can move across the aisle and solve some things because what we were doing before didn't carry over to success right now. It took people individually. It took states and municipalities, the ability to actually reel that back in and say, whoa, 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 we got to do something different because that doesn't work. Um, I hope the president does figure out a way to get PPE to the hospitals because we can't afford to have, like, I saw a story yesterday, a, a doctor from, I, was she, I think California, where she was treating people, no, New York, she was treating people and eventually got COVID-19, but prior to even her first shift, she sent her kids away because she didn't want to get them sick. And that was her fear was that she would treat so many people. She would eventually contract the virus. So I hope we don't forget the things that we shouldn't forget. And we figure out a way to move forward uh, because it's the right and smart thing to do. So I would love for that to be the case. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be very much like what you saw with nine 11, where it's going to be a lot of, Like, you know, I mean, after 9-11, you saw a whole bunch of American flags on bumper stickers and everything, right? Actually hanging out in front of houses. Yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, I mean, you see Jon Stewart on an annual basis pushing to try and get help for the people that were first responders to that. Right. And it's like, as a country. We forgot. We forgot. We like we don't care, you know, like we've got this 30 second attention span at this point. And I mean, because I would love I would love, like you said, for people to take this moment to realize, like, ultimately, we're all human and we all have to figure out how to get through this together. And nobody has all of the answers, but we all have some of the answers. So let's figure out how we make this all work together, like in, in a way that isn't detrimental to anybody, because there's a way to do that. Like, you don't you have to be dicks to each other. Like, <laughs> I know we've talked in the past about like my, uh, I guess my management style <laughs> and it's really this, I'm good at a certain amount of things, but I will quickly surround myself with people that are better at a lot of other things than I am. And I'm completely okay with saying, hey, Chris, I'm not good at this. Can you can you do this for me? 
And when I'm asking, it's because I can't do it or I'm not, you know, not that I'm not qualified to do it, but I'm not the best person in that moment to get it done. Why is that simple principle? Like, why don't people get that? It's, it's not complicated. You know, maybe the president isn't, a, well, he isn't a doctor, but Dr. Fauci is. And like, let him be the lead on that. Sure. Let him do uh, the talking. But I, I, right. Like ultimately you have a person in that position who doesn't understand that. Right. right? Who doesn't understand the gravity of that moment and the need for calm, collected delivery of factual information, you know? And I think, you know, I was reading, I know we've been recording forever, so I don't want to dive too far into this, but it'd be maybe an interesting topic for next week. Um, Just about kind of like the Republican party in general and how over the last couple of election cycles, and I'll, I'll send you this article so you can read it too, but it's just talking about how they've, it, the article felt like they've moved towards the the party that doesn't believe in facts, right? Like that ultimately is more driven by uh, fear mongering and that sort of stuff as opposed to being led by facts. Not to necessarily say that the Democrats are entirely yeah. based and led by facts, but uh, it's an interesting viewpoint. So, yeah, uh, we'll talk about that next time. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are Chris and Andre. Thank you for joining us for episode 11. 11. Thank you. Uh, I seem to can't count past nine. <laughs> uh, it's been a very good week. Uh, even with the COVID-19, we're still broadcasting. We've been uh, social distancing the entire time. And we'll be back next week. So I'm I'm Andre. I almost said I'm a Chris. <laughs> <laughs> He's Andre. I'm Chris. We hope you guys have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Peace. Someone asked me the other day if I do CrossFit. I said, yeah, I cross being fit off my list. (laughs) 